Please be seated. A few moments ago, we sang with the choir the canticle known as the Magnificat. Although this canticle appears in our lectionary during Advent, it's also very traditional, almost mandatory, to sing during services of Evensong at any time of year. And so I fell in love with this text over the many years that I sang it at one of my former parishes. This revolutionary speech given by Mary to Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, is called the Magnificat because of its first line in Latin, Magnificat anima mea dominum, or in the Elizabethan English, which I usually sang it in and which our choir will sing in a little later on for our anthem, my soul doth magnify the Lord. I wasn't familiar with that text before joining that choir, and I was amazed to think that such a radical vision of God's justice had been articulated by a teenaged girl. And further, to learn that these words had held such a prominent role in church liturgy throughout the centuries, because anyone who would observe the hours of the divine office even today would ordinarily speak or chant this text at least once a day, usually at Vespers. Although I've never been so disciplined myself as to do it that often, still, the experience of singing these words over and over at rehearsals and in services had a huge impact on me and was critical for my spiritual formation. As theologian and professor Gail O'Day says, in singing these songs, we continue to affirm to our world that God is the determinative one, that this God is faithful to the oppressed. No one who sings these songs can be resigned to the reign of evil. Mary speaks here with the authority of an Old Testament prophet. And indeed, as some of you might know, the Magnificat is remarkably similar to a speech found in Hebrew scriptures given by Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel. Mary's singing of the Magnificat is found only in Luke's gospel. And if you were to research this text, you will find that scholars tend to talk exclusively about Luke's purpose in including this prophetic text. Mary often gets left out of the equation altogether and is instead sentimentalized in our imaginations into a very unradical, ideal woman and mother. And so ironically, Luke, who emphasized the importance of women to Jesus's ministry more than any of the other gospel writers, ends up the man being the center of attention. Now in their defense, scholars focus on Luke because they have trouble believing that Mary, young, poor, presumably uneducated, could possibly have been responsible for this profound poetry. And I understand, it is hard to believe. But there's a story that I'd say is even harder to believe that is historically documented about another teenaged girl who was about the same age as Mary when she became the commander of the army of an entire nation, Joan of Arc, who was about 16 when she led the French army in an astonishing series of victories that reversed the tide of the Hundred Years' War and ultimately led to French victory. Joan has been a hero of mine since childhood when one of my favorite books was about her. And 
just parenthetically, it has nothing to do with the sermon, but I came across that book again as an adult, and I realized how incredibly age-inappropriate it was uh, when I saw a picture of poor Joan being burned at the stake, gazing saint-like up to heaven and engulfed in flames. So maybe that gives you some insight into what I was like as a child. <laughs> but moving on. Uh, like Mary, Joan spoke some prophetic words of her own against the mighty. In a letter dated uh, sorry, 1429, held in French archives, she addressed the invader of her homeland. King of England, do right by the king of heaven. Hand over to the maiden, referring to herself, the keys to all the towns which you have taken and violated. And firmly believe that the king of heaven will send greater force to the maiden than you would be able to bring against her and her good men-at-arms in all your assaults. And in the fighting, we will see who has the better right, the God of heaven or you. Mary and Joan knew that no matter how much power you hold, it is best not to mess with the God of heaven because that God is the determinative God, the mighty God whose interest is not in mighty people, but in the lowly, in the hungry, in servants. Mary's prayer proclaims that God has helped his servant Israel, has looked with favor on his servant Mary. That word Mary uses to describe herself, doulace, traditionally translated handmaid, quite similar to Joan's term, maiden, really has the meaning of slave. So Mary is putting herself and her people in the position of the lowliest of the low, which is really not something that we do these days. If anything, we tend to do the opposite. We pump ourselves up and try to appear more important than we really are, certainly not less. But Mary knew that the king of heaven lifts up and rewards not kings, not the mighty, not the rich, not celebrities, but the lowly and the hungry. In our competitive striving for more and more for ourselves, the Magnificat stops us in our tracks and forces us to listen to the prophetic words of a teenager, a group of people whom we unfortunately rarely listen to. As you might know, last weekend we had our diocesan convention, and the highlight for me had to be the youth presence, not only the great participation that we had from our St. Wilfred's youth, but also the youth who had gone, along with our own Eli Martin, on pilgrimage this year to the Holy Land. A couple of them spoke about the experience, about their hopes for peace and for the renewal of the church, and at least in my opinion, they were more eloquent and powerful than the adult speakers. I wish that any scholar who doubts the ability of a teenaged girl like Mary to come up with the Magnificat could have been there to hear those young people talk. I couldn't help but wonder what it would have been like if we turned over the entire convention programming to our youth, how much more inspirational and certainly fun it would have been. But I think we are resistant to listening to teenagers because as we can clearly hear this morning in the words of Mary and the words of St. Joan, teenagers are passionate, sincere, unguarded, and unafraid to speak the truth. 
which makes them extremely dangerous for us adults. <laughs> if we really listen to the voices of our youth, we might have to live our lives a little less resigned to the reign of evil, a resignation that we seem to renew daily, or we would be able to take on at least one aspect of Mary's Magnificat, we would be able to fill the hungry with good things. We produce 50% more food than we need to feed everyone on the planet, every single person. But in our resignation, we lack the will to actually do it. Our youth, like Mary, are keenly aware of our social problems, such as hunger in the world, which in part explains the success of Suzanne Collins' Hunger Games trilogy, which takes place in a society where, just as the title says, hunger is quite literally a game. And youth from starving regions are forced for the sport of the well-fed to take place in a fight to the death. The heroine, Katniss Everdeen, whose nickname, the girl on fire is, I think, an obvious homage to St. Joan, outwits the system by a loving willingness to sacrifice herself, which completely flies in the face of the cruel and selfish society into which she has been born. Katniss, Joan, and Mary knew that the odds are ultimately in favor of the weak, not the strong, which we see time and again, not just in fiction, but in history, from the fall of the Roman Empire to the end of slavery to the end of apartheid. But still, we doubt God. We see miracles like these in history, and we explain them away, because if we had to live our lives as if all this stuff were real, what would we do? Would we feed the hungry? Would we sell all our possessions? Would we see the world through the eyes of young people. This is truly dangerous stuff. Our economy can't function that way. And so we come up with rational explanations, like saying, oh, these words don't come from Mary, the mother of Jesus. They come from this writer, Luke, quoting ancient scripture and putting words into Mary's mouth. But I have no trouble believing that Mary spoke these words, that she sang them over and over to Jesus, and that these words were critical to Jesus's spiritual formation as they were to mine. Because if you look at Jesus's ministry, it's obvious that his mother's vision must have been formational for him, and that's why he tells John's disciples in today's gospel that one of the proofs that the Messiah has come is that the poor have good news brought to them. Mary's song is good news for the poor indeed, and it is God's will that we bring good news to the poor and that we fill the hungry with good things. But we don't have to rely on our own power to get that done any more than a teenaged girl can lead an army under her own power or any more than another teenaged girl can spout off poetry that lasts for centuries under her own power. It is God's power that makes these things happen. This determinative God who became flesh for our sakes, who died for our sakes, and who invites us to his table to share in his power freely. 
May we do right by the King of Heaven. May we reject being resigned to the reign of evil. And at this time of year, more than any other, may we continue to sing along with Mary that our souls proclaim the greatness of the Lord and our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.